morning, everyone. Good to see you today. As Elliot said, we've been um, talking about money for the last four weeks, particularly we've been looking at what God has to say about the money that he lets pass through our hands. Now, one of the questions you might have is, why, why does God even care about what I do with my money? I mean, he sure doesn't need our money. Well, the reason God cares is because money never passes through our hands uh, and has a neutral effect on it. It always first affects our hearts whenever it passes through our hands. And what affects our hearts ends up shaping uh, our lives, not only this life, but the life to come, either for good or for ill. So our theme verse has been, for this series, has been Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Here's what it says. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Now, what this verse is saying is that our top money question is, do we have enough? Uh, And we keep asking this question, do we have enough money to afford this or to spend on this or go on this trip? But God's top money question is not the enough question. It's, do you love money? It turns out that's the bigger question when it comes to how we handle money. The question is, do you use money to pay bills and prepare for the future and bless others, or do you need money to feel safe and significant and happy? Now, if your emotions rise and fall with your money, well, you're probably a lover of money, not just a handler of money. And if we're all honest, we've we've all fallen in love with money to some degree. It really is pretty much impossible to handle money naturally on our own ability, and not just be drawn to it. This is why God is so clear in the pages of the Bible about how to handle the money that he puts into our hands. It's kind of like instructions on how to handle radioactive material. You know, handled properly, radioactive material can power cities. But if it's handled wrongly, well, it can cause a tremendous amount of destruction and death and deformity. Now, you can't see the, the damage that radioactive material handled improperly uh, causes. You can't look at radioactive material and see the damage just by looking at it. it. It takes sometimes years and decades for some of the diseases and deformities to show up in a person that's been exposed to, to radiation. And it's really similar with money. You can't just look at money and say, oh, that looks dangerous. No, it's just money. But if it's not handled rightly, over the years, it, it really can begin to cause deformity in your own heart and your relationships, and it can do a lot of damage if it's not handled properly. And like radioactive material, money can, boy, it can be used to do a lot of great things and bless a lot of people, or it can bring a lot of destruction. Now, our money is handled in one of three ways. We've talked about this the last four weeks. We can either spend our money Or we can save our money. Investing is part of the saving. We prepare for the future this way. Or we can give our money away. Out of all the decisions we make with money, they all fall into one of these three categories. Now, the order of priority determines the impact that this money has on our hearts, whether we handle it safely or not. Now, the common order of priority that we use in handling money is, what's number one? Spending. Spending is always number one, especially in our culture, a consumer-driven culture. And then savings would be the second thing that we focus on. And if there's anything left over, then we'll give. Sometimes we think, you know, once we've, uh, you know, got a certain amount of resources, then we'll enter into the giving uh, stage of life. But it's kind of the last thing on the list. But the problem with this order is that when spending is at the top of the list, 
money ends up dominating our life. And the reason is because spending kind of starts a radioactive type chain reaction where one purchase leads to another and another and another. And as this verse says, it's never enough. Spending never says enough. It's never satisfied. So God says, if you want to handle the money that I allow pass through your hands properly, you're going to have to change the order on this list. And God says the the top and the bottom need to switch. The spending and the giving need to go in different orders. Giving needs to be at the top, and then saving, and lastly, spending. And the reason is because giving is the only protection we have against developing a love of money. So we began four weeks ago by looking at the kind of giving, the level of giving that's required to really protect our hearts from falling in love with money. And the amount of giving that's required for this to occur in Scripture is called a tithe, which means a tenth, a 10%. We give 10% of all the resources that God allows pass through our hands. We give that back to Him for the advancement of His work. And then we talked about how to put a fence around our spending, how to limit our spending and create a budget that that determines the limits of what we're going to spend. And then we talked about how to get out of debt if we've allowed spending to kind of take over and control us. Last week, we talked about the importance of savings and how to save and prepare for the future. And really, we've pointed over and over again to the plan we're calling the 10-10-80 plan. It's not a plan that uh, I invented. that has been out there for a long time. And the first number is the number that God gives, and the other numbers are just kind of recommended. We give 10%. That's the first 10 and then we save 10%, and then we spend 80%. We live on the 80% that's left over after that. So today, we're going to look about what do you look at? What do you do if you have more than enough money? Now, you might be thinking, boy, that would be great. <laughs> but what happens when you're in that situation? You know, after you give, after you save, and you really have more than you need to live on. You really have you don't need the full 80% of your income to, to live on. Does God have any input for you? The answer is yes, he does. In fact, the Bible has more to say about that financial condition than really any other. And we live in one of the wealthiest parts of the world, and so what that means is many of you are in that situation. Now, if not, you would like to be in that situation. And one day, you might be. You know, if you put your finances in order and handle money the way God says that he wants you to handle money, God may grant you more than enough. And if so, you're going to need to prepare now for living beyond enough. What does God want you to do with the extra? The term for this condition is being rich. Now, even though everybody wants to be rich, it still kind of is a dirty word in our culture kind of interesting. Everybody's trying to be rich, but no one wants to admit that they're actually rich. But rich means simply you have more than enough to provide for your basic needs. And really, when compared to many parts of the world, we're all pretty rich. We have more than enough. But in the Bible, being rich is not a bad thing or a good thing. It's kind of neutral. It's just simply a description of your situation. You have extra money. You're rich. And with that extra money comes two additional extras that are always attached to extra money. Extra money always brings with it extra advantages and extra disadvantages. We're going to talk about the advantages first. There are two advantages that always come with extra money. The first advantage is 
Extra money can come with extra enjoyment. It doesn't always, but that's one of the intentions behind it is extra enjoyment. Here's what we read in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. This verse was written by what many agree to be the wealthiest man to ever walk the planet, King Solomon. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their work, this is a gift of God. It's a gift from God. So how does someone become rich? Well, there are many paths. I mean, some work really, really hard and come up with the extra resources that they have. Some have a real family advantage. Maybe they had an inheritance passed on to them or a family business or an opportunity or some training that came through uh, the family line. And boy, that, that really put them on the path to have extra. A lot of people who have extra are really smart. You know, they've, they figure some stuff out and they've really applied themselves and they've, they've been able to come up with some extra money. And all of those and more are valid reasons why people are rich and have extra. But the biggest reason why people, someone has extra money is because God has given it to them. God has granted them these resources. But what we tend to not understand is the big gift is not the money itself. The big gift is the ability to enjoy the extra money. You know, there are lots of miserable, rich people. And so money itself doesn't come with enjoyment. It comes with the opportunity of extra enjoyment, but that's something else that happens altogether. You know, money can't fill our hearts with joy. If that was true, everybody who had extra would be full of joy. And boy, that's not true. Only God can bring joy and enjoyment over time. If we defy Him, well, life is just going to be sad. Woody Allen is a big example of this. He has an estimated net worth of $80 million. At least that's what Google says, and Google's always right, so we'll think that he (laughs) has a net worth right now of $80 million. And he's made many comments over the years about how sad he is. And one of the most interesting comments that I read recently was this. He said, most of the time, I don't have much fun. The rest of the time, I don't have any fun at all. I mean, that's typical Woody Allen, a nice turn. It's kind of comical, but isn't that sad? You know, when I, I think of $80 million, it's like, well, I would like to trade bank accounts, but I sure don't want to trade lives. I'd rather have the resources God has given me with the joy rather than all those resources and no ability to enjoy it. There's no fun. So if you have extra, one of the reasons is that God is bringing you the opportunity for some more enjoyment in your life. And that's okay. Let me say it again. That's okay. You know, think of a time when you gave a gift to someone that you love. Did you give that gift to them because you wanted them to feel guilty about the gift or feel embarrassed because Someone next to them didn't get that gift that you gave to them? No, that wasn't your intent behind the giving of the gift. The reason you gave that gift was so that they might enjoy that gift. And it's the same with God's gifts. So enjoy. If he's given you extra, feel free to enjoy it. Now, there is this idea that to be a Christian, you have to be very sure that you don't ever enjoy money. That's just kind of one of the ideas. There's no verses really that say that. But that's the idea. In fact, I think this idea, it has kind of a long history 
uh, among the Christian faith, and it, it comes from the idea of the vow of poverty. In other words, if, if you're really going to be kind of an A-level Christian, you've got to take a vow of poverty. And there's some churches that require those who lead in the church to take that vow. And that really comes from something that Jesus said to a rich man in Mark chapter 10. This man, this rich man, had spent his life really trying to figure out how to get right with God. And he did all kinds of good things and worked on all kinds of stuff, but he he continued to have this nagging sense that on the inside something was wrong, something was off in his heart, and he could never figure out what he needed to do. And so he asked Jesus for help. He asked Jesus, what, what do I need to do to, to experience and receive the, the life that comes from God, eternal life on the inside? Something's off. What, what do I need to do? And Jesus knew that the problem for this man was that at the very core of who he was, he loved money more than God. And he loved money so much, Jesus knew that the only way that he was ever going to be able to break free from his love of money and put God in his rightful place was he, he was just going to have to give his money away. He, he was not going to be able to just kind of manage his resources and choose to love God more than money. There was so much there that he, he just he had to give it away. And so he tells this man this in Mark 10, 21. He says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And if you read on, it says, this man went away sad. The reason he went away sad is because he now knew two things that were very saddening to him. The first thing is now he knew for sure, he had verification from Jesus what the problem really was. He probably had a sneaking suspicion and was hoping it wasn't his love of money, but now Jesus had put his finger right on the cause and said, you're in love with your money. And that saddened him. Because the second thing now he knew to be true was that he wasn't willing to do anything about that really. And so he walked away sad because he wasn't really willing to choose God over money. Now, the idea that's come out of this story is that this is what Jesus requires of all of us. But this is the only time Jesus tells anyone to sell everything they have, to make some kind of vow of poverty. Now, in this case, clearly it was needed. But in most cases, you know, starting at the tithe and maybe moving beyond that, that's enough to begin to manage our natural love for money. But for this man, there was no half measures, no everything needed to be given away for him to happen. But the mistake that's sometimes made when people read the pages of the Bible is to think that what God did in one situation, he now requires for everyone in every situation. And that's not the case. And so there's this idea in a lot of Christian traditions that we just shouldn't enjoy money. In fact, my family on my dad's side comes from a a Christian tradition called Mennonites. We're kind of like Amish light, you know, like a little (laughs) less intense version of the Amish. And so, but kind of similar like Amish, Mennonites have this idea that it's, it's wrong to enjoy the things of this world that money can buy. Now, none of us are part of a Mennonite church. We're not part of that tradition now. That's just kind of our, our family heritage. But it still shows up. Whenever any of us buys something that's really nice, we all feel the need to justify what we've just purchased by telling everybody what a great deal it was that we got. <laughs> now, if you get around us in family you know, gatherings, it's actually pretty comical. I mean, we're just, we're just busy telling everyone 
how much we paid for this and how much we got that for and can you believe this? To the point where you get the idea that what we're really saying is, you know, it, I, I think it would have been a sin to not buy that because it was <laughs> such a deal. It's bad stewardship to not purchase things when they're on such a discount. And this continues to affect me to this day. I mean, last year, uh, we bought a, a, new, a new car. It was a Nissan Pathfinder. And it's, it's nice. But, you know, you wouldn't hear anything from me about how nice it is, how comfortable it is, how much we enjoy it. In fact, in the early months, you know, whenever you purchase something new, you know, people notice it, and then you feel that you need to explain why you have this, how this came to be. And so all I could talk about was the great deal that I got from the dealer and how, you know, we got this car really to help, uh, you know, with my wife's parents who are in town now, and it's, this really allows us to do that. Both of those things are true. But you won't hear me talk about, you know what, we really enjoy this car. This is the most comfortable car we've ever driven. Which, the older we get, comfort means more and more to us. We can now drive 100 miles without parts of our body going numb. And that, we, we enjoy that. We love that. But you're not going to hear me talking about what a great car it is and how much I enjoy it. It's like, oh, no, the dealer was basically throwing these you know, on Beach Boulevard. They were just <laughs> handing them out, people driving by. So I picked up one for a couple hundred dollars. And, you know, and really it was because we're serving her parents and, you know, but no, it's, we, it's really enjoyable to be able to have that car. And, and too, I think sometimes on the other side of the equation, whenever we notice someone gets something nice, we, we may not say it, but with our eyes and with our voice, if we don't say it directly, what we're really saying to them is, huh, must be nice. <laughs> must be nice to be able to buy that car. Must be nice to go to Hawaii. Wish I could. <laughs> wow. On a cruise, huh? Again. Wow. <laughs> Must be nice to not have to really work and just kind of see stuff. And, I mean, we, again, we don't say that, but boy, we say that non-verbally, don't we? Why can't we just say, you know what? I rejoice in the gift that God has given you. I hope you have a great time on that cruise. Every time I see you in that car, I'm going to thank God, thank you for that gift, not, how come I didn't get that? You just enjoy. Now, I think the reason we struggle with this is because, you know, enjoying money sounds like, you know, what our culture teaches us. You know, that money is the key to happiness, and if you really want to feel good, you, you need to buy this next possession. But the lie that's embedded in that lie is that money all by itself can offer happiness, and it can't. Money is not the cause of joy. God is. But oftentimes, he pairs these two together, extra money with a little extra joy. You pull God out of the center of the equation, and the best that money can ever deliver is, is a little happiness buzz. You know, for a few months, you know, it's going to be a little while, maybe, but pretty soon we're going to be like, oh, kind of like that car. I mean, it just, it's going to wear off. Only God can give you money, extra money, and the ability to enjoy it. That's the gift, those two together. So if God has given you some extra, feel free to enjoy it. That's one of his intentions. That's why he gave it to you. Just don't forget who gave it to you and who's giving you the joy 
that came with it. So, extra advantage number one, extra enjoyment. Extra advantage number two is you now get to be extra generous. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So what it's saying is command those who have extra money in this world to turn some of those dollars into extra eternal treasure. How? By being rich in good deeds, by giving more of what they have, and by sharing what they have with people who have some needs. You see, when extra money comes to us, generosity usually isn't our first thought. It's not usually, all right, I've really been wanting to increase my giving. I've been wanting to help some more people, and and now I can. No, the first thought is, I can raise my lifestyle now. That's the first thought we normally have. And the reason is because Giving is is one of those important matters in life that require continual effort. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Spending is kind of like it just rises on the tide. It just naturally floats. Giving, well, you have to choose again and again and again, not only to give, but to increase your giving. And that requires ongoing effort. And there's many things that are like that. You need to increase in all kinds of efforts. Giving is just one of them. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 has a very powerful list of the things that just take continual effort. Here's what it says. That just as you excel in everything, and here's the list, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So this is not a comprehensive list, but it's a short list of the important pursuits in life that require just ongoing effort if you're going to grow in these. You can't just leave these dormant in your life and think that they're going to improve. No, they're going to atrophy. The Greek word that's used here in the New Testament for excel means to keep topping yourself. You're not competing with others, but you're going to have to keep moving it up and moving it up and keep growing in these areas. They'll never just advance without effort. You know, look, look at the list recently in faith. You know, do, do you ever get to the point with faith where you realize, you know, I, I don't think I need to trust God anymore for anything in the future or anything that's going on right now? No, I mean, I've grown in faith in the past, but what I've learned is last Wednesday's faith is not going to supply Sunday's requirement. I need to trust God today. And so I, I've got to keep working on Trusting the goodness and the plan of God. Or how about speech? Yeah, I can't think of a single day where I thought, you know, I, I wouldn't change a single word. In fact, let's publish that day. That, that, was, that, that was perfect. That, that needs to be out there for people to read. No. I mean, I regularly am thinking, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. Or I, I wish I had said a little different. Or couldn't I have I just held my tongue on this? Or, I mean, we just got to continually work on using our words properly. How about knowledge? Hopefully none of you ever get to the point where you think, you know, I'm not interested in learning anything more in this area in my life. I mean, a bunch of us got a chance to be a part of a a marriage conference this Friday and Saturday morning. 
And the reason is because we all are there. We need to know more. You know, my wife and I, we're going to celebrate our 33rd anniversary this week, but that doesn't mean we've, you know, we've got this down. (laughs) This marriage thing, you know, it took us about 32 years, but in the year 33, (laughs) nailed it. We got it. (laughs) No, I mean, that... We, we need to learn. We need to know more. How about effort? As it says in this verse, complete earnestness. It's talking about just the, you know, the effort that's required. You know, there's always more work to be done in every area of your life. Well, this one, if, you, if you're not convinced yet, this one should convince you. How about love? Does any, anyway, any of you think that if, if we interviewed all the people that are in relationship with you, where, where the vast majority of them, really all of them would say, you know, I, I can't think of a single thing that person could do to love me better. No, we, we fall way short in this one. So we, it's not going to improve on its own. It, it's going to take effort. And what this verse is saying is, well, then add giving to this list. You're going to need to keep growing in generosity. It's not going to happen on its own. You see, we've been talking about the 10-10-80 plan. But the 10-10-80 plan, that's just a recommended starting point. You know, giving 10%, well, that's the giving threshold. That's called a tithe in Scripture. It's not to be the final place that you end up. That's, that's where you start, by putting God first. You know, several years ago, my wife and I realized that giving a tithe had become kind of easy for us. Now, there were times when it was really challenging, but we had been doing it pretty much our entire married life, and so it had become kind of like a bill, kind of like the mortgage. You know, we just, we just pay it part of what we do. But in order for our generosity to improve, we needed to, to work on that. And so we've, we've adjusted that over the years. We, we've moved beyond that. And that's challenged us. So if God has given you extra, part of His intention is He wants you to be extra generous. Now, you've got to figure out how much that is and what He wants, but that's one of the categories that He wants you to think about. Now, how about the disadvantages? There are two disadvantages, extra disadvantages as well. You know, when we aspire for more, when we want extra, we only tend to think about the advantages. But it's important to understand, if God grants you more, there's some disadvantages that come with that, and you need to be ready for that. <clears throat> the first disadvantage is extra arrogance. Extra arrogance. If you get more money, just get ready to be real proud about that money. That's just kind of what happens. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. We, we read the, the part earlier in this passage about being extra generous, and now I want to include the part that talks about the extra arrogance. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Now, why would it say that? Because they are. Nor to put their hope in wealth. Why does it say that? Because that's what we naturally do if we have extra, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God. You know, if we have more money in the bank account, we don't have to trust God as much. And, you know, for me personally, I'd rather be able to log on to an account and feel better about the amount in there because God doesn't have a website where I can log on and say, how are you going to provide for this need tomorrow? I don't know. I'd rather depend on them. That's the way we are. But it's so uncertain. (laughs) But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There's the enjoyment part again. But it's preceded by the biggest tag-along that comes with money, and that is arrogance. When you make more money and God grants more resources, 
It's just a powerful boost to your ego. And if it doesn't go to your head, you're a rare person. You know, before I pastored this church, I was on the ground floor of what uh, eventually became an advertising agency. And I remember the first year, it uh, never got huge, kind of medium-sized, but I remember the first year that we topped $3 million in sales. And the reason we did is it happened mostly because I was able to close a big deal at the end of the year. And I'll never forget that feeling. I was very impressed with myself. <laughs> and, you know, everyone else was too. I mean, the relationship that I had negotiated, I, I took a sale away from another vendor that had been the vendor for over 10 years. And that's a tough thing to do if you're in sales. And I was, I was feeling it. It was an intoxicating feeling. And you know, the commission, that really helped me feel better too. And I, I think that's why maybe shortly after that, God told me that I was going to pastor a church. I, I didn't hear this audibly, but I, I think the idea is something like this. You know what? He's not mature enough to make that kind of money. So, you know, God has provided really more than enough for us as a family through doing this. But that, it, I'm on a different financial track than I would have been if I would stayed in that track. And, I, and I'm, sometimes I'm not grateful, but when I really think honestly about it, I'm really grateful. Not only for the privilege of doing this, but oh, I'm just naturally arrogant. And I, I don't need to have that much money to attach to my name because, man, you would, not, you would not like me at all, I'm afraid. I'm just not mature enough. God bless those of you who have more money because clearly he thinks you're mature enough to handle it, not me. You know, God warns Israel about what happens when when extra comes in, when income goes up. And he warns them right after they've been rescued by him out of slavery. And so for centuries, they were slaves. They, they had no opportunity to increase their income. They were dependent on their masters in Egypt. And now for the first time, they're going to get a chance to grow crops and do ranching and grow herds and and get resources and kind of be in charge of their own income. And so God says this. It's a very important thing he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, when you eat and are satisfied. You know, that, that was kind of rare when they were slaves. Now it's going to be happening more and more. And when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. He doesn't say, you might struggle with arrogance. He just said, let me just tell you what's going to happen. Your heart's going to become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God. This is exactly what's happened in our culture. You'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But boy, you better remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know, when extra comes in, it's just so easy for us just to forget why? You know, we got a raise because, man, we're great negotiators. We got a raise or we, the income went up or sales went up because of all the work we did. Yes, but that's the minor part of why. Remember how this happens. It's God who gives you the ability to produce wealth, it says. He gave you the mind that was able to negotiate that deal. If, if he took his power away from your brain, you wouldn't be able to put a sentence together. 
try getting a raise with that. He gifted you the way he has to earn the income you were able to earn. He provided you with the opportunities you've been provided. If you look back over your life, you'll see many points in time where if things had gone this way rather than that way, you'd be in a very different position. And we foolishly look back and say, whew, boy, I was lucky. No, the hand of God was allowing you to be in the position you're in now. So don't think it's all you. In fact, he's the one that's giving you every breath. Try to make any money without that. Yeah, but money has a way of just causing us to forget this important fact. We, we become arrogant and we push God out of our life. And that's why Jesus says this in Mark 10, 25. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when you read rich man, everybody says, well, it's not me. Uh-huh. It probably is for many in this room. What is he saying? Well, the eye of a needle is an image or statement made about a, a low spot uh, sometimes between rocks on the road or a low door in a city wall. And so most of the transportation of the merchandise was done on, on camels back then. And so in order to get on these road spots or to get into the city sometimes, the camel would have to get on its knees. They could offload the stuff and kind of get the camel through there. And I don't know if you've ever seen a camel get down on its knees, but it is one painful contorted, ugly kind of thing. Here's a picture of a camel beginning to get down on its knees. They don't like to do it. I mean, they're way up there. I can, only animal I can think that would be more awkward to get on its knees would be a giraffe. But if you've ever seen a camel get on its knees, I mean, they're like, you know, and they do this, and then boom, they go down, and then the back, boom. And if anyone's sitting on it, they're getting thrown all over, and stuff on it, it's getting thrown all over. I mean, it's just, they don't like to do it because they're, they're not built to be hanging out on their knees. And so what Jesus is saying here is it's really hard for people who have a lot of extra money to be humble. Now, now they can. They can humble themselves, but man, if you ever watch a rich person try to humble themselves, it's painful. I mean, everybody's looking up at them and they're amazed at them and therefore they're amazed at themselves. And it just takes, you know, just to ugh, humble themselves. It, it, it can be done, but it's, it's a struggle. It's a challenge. So what this is saying is, is if you have extra money, put in the effort to get on your knees. Humble yourself. Take the time to remember specifically how all this came to be and thank God for it. And then when, when everyone's, you know, amazed at you, either verbally or in your heart, immediately give credit to God. Don't, don't take it. Don't take the worship. Don't accept it. You know, the more resources you have, the more people that will gather around you in orbit just to be in the glow of your money. Don't accept that worship. That, that, that belongs to God alone. And, boy, you better pass it on now. Don't let it go to your head. Take, take the time to serve. Serve in the church. Do humble things. The last extra disadvantage is extra hassle. Most people who want to be rich don't realize this. Those who have resources, they know this one. Here's what it says, Proverbs 14.4, where there are no oxen, the manger, which is the stall and the barn, that stays empty. But from the strength of the ox comes an abundant harvest. 
What this is saying is, is if you want a clean barn, don't get an ox. Because what oxes do is, well, you know what they do. They require the stall to be cleaned out. Regularly, they make a mess. But the, the whole purpose of the barn and the stall is for the animals to plow and to harvest. This is before tractors. So basically, if you want an abundant harvest, you're going to have to put up with the mess that the ox makes. Apply that to today's economy. This is what it's saying. If you want more money, you're going to have to put up with more poop. That's what it's saying. It's just more hassle. More of And those of you who have extra, you know what I'm talking about. It's just like, ugh. You're grateful for it, but man, there's some hassle that comes with that. You know, those who want to get rich, they, they only see the enjoyment side, but there's a lot of hassle to it. You know, for example... It doesn't take a lot of time and thought to manage my vast investment portfolio. I mean, I do have one, but you know what? It, it kind of runs on its own because it's, but if you've got a lot of extra, you've got to think about it and you've got to make decisions. And because we're God's stewards, what that means is if you got extra, God's going to ask you about that extra. When you stand before Jesus and the conversation about your life ensues, you're going to have more questions. You're going to have more financial questions if you have a lot of extra than maybe I will. So that, that requires thought now. It's like, well, is Jesus okay with how I'm handling this extra? How, how, what should I do? That, that just takes time. That takes, that takes thought. And there's also more risk that comes with extra. Proverbs 13.8 says, A man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. You don't put a real beefy security system around a place where there's nothing in there to steal. You know, part of the extra hassle is the extra risk, you know. I mean, for me, example, you know, I like the Nissan Pathfinder, but, you know, it takes me longer to park that thing. You know why? I don't want it dented. So I drive in a parking lot, and I'm going to the opposite side of the parking lot. So, I, I mean, it just adds, you know, five, ten minutes every place I go. That's just, yeah, you know, it's a little extra hassle. I mean, I remember the days when I was driving the car that no one would park next to. <laughs> I mean, that was great. There was a front slot, you know, drive right in. Everyone would kind of get out of the way. But not now. I've got extra, and it's just a little extra hassle because I, I want to protect that extra. So if you have money, there are always people trying to take it from you, either by force or by trickery. Now, it's nice to have the money, but you know it's also nice not to have the threat. <laughs> so kind of pick your problems. There's more to maintain for you if you got extra. There's more to insure. There's more to decide on. There's more to answer for. Now, if God has granted you extra, he has a reason for it. It's so that you might use the extra to, as it says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, to lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age so that you might take hold of life that is truly life. You know, over the course of your lifetime, if you're, if you're an average American, millions of dollars will pass through your hands. It may be two or three, it may be 10 or 20. But it's pretty hard to live in this culture and not have 
at least a million or two dollars pass through your hands over the course of the decades. And it will all, all of those millions will come. And when you die, they'll all go. And the big question as those millions pass through your hands is what effect is all of that money going to have on your heart? So, make a plan for how you're going to handle it. If, if you don't have a plan, I recommend you start with a 10 10 80 budget. You know, some of you can do 20 20 60. It's your call. I would recommend you start with a 10 10 80. As I mentioned last week, we've got a couple of documents to really help you with this if you want to start on this. We've posted them on our website under each of these messages in this series. Feel free to log on and download those documents. I think they can be helpful. And then if tithing is something new for you, I, I would challenge you to try it for four months. Try it for four months. I, I have seen so much life transformation, not just financial stuff, but life transformation occur when people do this for the first time. I, I would just try it for four months and then evaluate. So let me read our theme verse again as we close, and then I'll close this in prayer. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. May that not be us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of the extra that is represented in this room. You know exactly how much is extra. And our best guess is there's, there's probably a good bit of extra, and we're, we're thankful for that. We thank you for the joy and the freedom that can come with the extra. We thank you for what we've been able to do as a church out of those that have been generous with the extra, the impact that we are having now and can have in, in this community. We thank you for how we've been able to bless our families, how we've been able to provide for those in need. And Father, we ask that you would help us to, to steward the disadvantages. Oh God, may we not become proud and forget you as we're busy managing our extra. And may we handle our extra and the hassle that comes with it in the way that is right before you. We don't, we don't want this money to turn our hearts away from you, but towards you in gratitude. Help us, we pray, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.